Today's episode is a story from history about Tipu Sultan, the tiger of Mysore. He struck terror in the hearts of the British during the four Anglo-Mysore wars and all with the help of advanced rocket technology. Welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast that will take you on a journey through the rich mythology, folklore and history of the Indian subcontinent. I am Narad Muni, the celestial storyteller and the original Time Lord. With my ability to travel through space and time, I can bring you fascinating stories from the past, the present and the future. From the epic tales of the Mahabharat and Ramayan to the folk tales of the Panchatantra to stories of Akbar Birbal and Tenali Raman, I have a story for every occasion. The purpose of the stories is neither to pass judgment nor to indoctrinate. My goal is only to share these stories with people who may not have heard them before and to make them more entertaining for those who have. In this episode, we are talking about the Tiger of Mysore, Tipu Sultan. The title of Tiger was not lightly earned, and you'll see why Tipu deserved it. The story begins in 1767, with a British soldier talking to the ruler of the state of Hyderabad. I know what you're thinking. Hyderabad? is a city, or maybe even two cities, if you count the one in Pakistan. But trust me on this, in 1767, Hyderabad was a much larger region than it spans today. The same could be said about the territory of Mysore, which today is just a city. Colonel Joseph Smith of the British East India Company sat sipping tea with Nizam Ali Khan, who was the Nizam of Hyderabad. Smith was explaining a recent battle. My dear old Nizam, you had to be there to see it. You know these Marathas? They are like ninjas, don't you know? They jump out of the shadows and hold their swords to your neck before you could say Jack Robinson. The Nizam wondered, who Jack Robinson was, and whether it was a tradition amongst the British to invoke his name. Being polite though, he said nothing. Instead, he asked whom the Marathas had preyed upon this time. Hyder Ali, the ruler of Mysore, was the reply. This puzzled the Nizam. He was getting older but he could distinctly remember that the ruler of Mysore was not Hyder Ali. It was some guy named Woodkar or Yarwood or something. Wodeyar, Joseph Smith clarified. And Wodeyar still is, but I mean he also isn't, if you follow my drift. What I mean to say, my dear Nizam, 
is that Wodeyar is just a figurehead. Haider Ali, the military commander, he pulls all the strings. Again, the Nizam was confused, but he decided not to interrupt to ask what strings. Just as well, Joseph Smith was going on with his story. But hang on to your hat, Nizam. What happened next between the Marathas and Hyder Ali will shock you. Maybe because of the clickbait-style commentary, the Nizam was hooked. Joseph Smith was now describing how the Marathas had invaded the kingdom of Mysore. They had come all the way down to the Tungabhadra River, and they threatened to make things worse, unless Hyder Ali paid them. Apparently, this was the Marathas. M.O. for quickly making a pretty indecent pile of money. This strategy played on Hyder Ali's psychology. Surely, he didn't want war. War would cost him much more than the 18 lakh rupees that he could pay the Marathas instead. Hyder Ali coughed up the money and the Marathas went back their merry way. The whole interaction was rather reminiscent of the bully Mo taking Calvin's lunch money. Joseph Smith insisted that the Nizam should give this a try. He might be able to easily coerce some money out of Hyder Ali as well. Mysore rulers hate this one weird trick, the colonel added for good measure. Nizam Ali Khan was too polite to refuse, especially when Joseph Smith announced that his soldiers would accompany the Nizams into battle. That was the first Anglo-Mysore war. Tipu Sultan thought that calling it the Hyder-Hyderabad War would make for a much more catchy and memorable title. Besides, why call it the first Anglo-Mysore War? It's almost like everyone expected a second, a third and a fourth to follow. Tipu Sultan was just 16, but he was commanding a section of the cavalry. True, being the son of the commander-in-chief must have helped him in landing that job. But no one had any cause for complaint. The boy proved ferocious in battle. Even then, people nicknamed him a tiger. Which only led to confusion amongst the British, who had never known tigers to ride horseback. And given that, at least in one case, Tipu Sultan had identified his name as Nawab Tipu Sultan Fateh Ali Khan, and because Sher is the Hindi word for tiger, you could also say that Tipu Sultan was the original Sher Khan. Anyway, back to the war. The odds were badly stacked against Hyder Ali's forces. And to make things worse, British troops from Bombay attacked Mysore from the west. Call it a pincer movement from the sneaky British. But Tipu and Hyder proved equal to that task. 
Though Colonel Joseph Smith would have been proud of how the British troops were handling things, he might have hated to be reminded of the 21 ways that Hyder Ali's troops outsmarted him. And number nine would have amazed him. To everyone's surprise, perhaps including Hyder Ali's own, the British troops were beaten in the end. The Nizam withdrew his troops from battle. He hadn't seen the point of this war. It's not like he needed to extort money anyway. Never mind whether or not the Marathas wanted to keep playing that trick. With support withdrawn from Hyderabad, Hyder Ali's troops were at the gates of Madras, which made many of the British very, very nervous. What awaited them was certain defeat. And there was no way to get out of this. Maybe they would even have to leave the country. But on the off chance, their negotiator proposed a truce, which, to everyone's shock, was readily accepted. This was the Treaty of Madras. Hyder Ali really wanted a clause to be built in, where each side would be obligated to rush to the help of the other in battle. But the British insisted on doing this in defence only, not to invade new places. They wanted to monopolise the invasion bit. And with that, the status quo antebellum was restored, meaning everyone went back to the positions they were in before all this happened. Many people thought that it was a waste of effort and probably unwise to give all that territory back to the British. As it turns out, it was worse than that. The Treaty of Madras meant that when Mysore went into war with the Marathas a couple of years later, Hyder Ali was counting on help from the British. But that help never came. The British complained about some frivolous technicality, that the treaty hadn't been specific enough or something. That angered Hyder Ali and his tiger cub of a son. That may have been a factor in the Second Anglo-Mysore War. A second factor a few years later was that the British attacked Mahe, which was a part of the region of Puducherry, controlled by the French. And Tipu Sultan, being an ally of the French, had placed it under his own protection. To have the British conquer it was the equivalent of someone stealing a tiger's kill from under its very nose. The response was quick. This time, Tipu was determined to drive the British out of Madras. There were multiple battles, and not even Hyder Ali's passing in 1782 slowed Tipu down. It wasn't just personal ferocity that Tipu demonstrated when in battle. He had a not-so-secret weapon in battle. Rockets. Mysorean rocketry was not new, but it flourished under Tipu Sultan. Tipu, 
invested heavily in building more and more rockets with a longer range than ever before. Tipu had set up R&D labs in Bangalore, and this is where most of the research really took off. You could say it was the launching pad for many of the best and brightest minds. Tipu's rocket scientists were as smart as, well, rocket scientists. They built a rocket launcher that could fire six rockets at practically the same time. It's not an exaggeration by any means to say that the Mysorean rockets were far more advanced technology than any similar weapon the British had come up with. The demand for rocket scientists, well, skyrocketed. The R&D labs staged a few demonstrations of their work and watching those test rockets take off was so uplifting. Not just for the rocket physically, but for the soldiers' morale. Rumor had it that the latest project from these rocket scientists was a rocket that could eat another rocket mid-flight. They called it the cannibalistic rocket. All that is to say, the British were on the back foot against superior technology. When multiple rockets were fired at them from different angles, the British were overwhelmed by the space jam resulting from all that rocket traffic above their heads. The outcome of the war was again similar to the first Anglo-Mysore war. Tipu agreed to a status quo antebellum which meant everything returned back to just the way it was before the war. On second thoughts, not everything. A few things. Actually, scratch that. Make that just one thing. Only the borders between these states returned to what they were. British reputation, on the other hand, took a massive hit. They had been utterly humiliated in this war. That might puzzle you. They did get back their territories, didn't they? So what was the problem? The problem was that they had to exit the war on Tipu's terms, which amounts to defeat. Especially after Hyder Ali passed away, they thought that Mysore would just be a pushover but it wasn't. One particular thing that happened was that during the signing of the treaty, the commissioner of the Madras presidency had to travel all the way to Mangalore on the other coast to sign it. If the same thing had happened in the 21st century, the signatory might think to themselves, hey, business trip, time to earn an insane number of reward points from hotels and flights. But no such perks in 1784. This was bad. It was a lot worse than just this war because just a few months before, the British had lost the American Revolutionary War. You could easily imagine the elderly British aristocrat clucking their tongues and telling their stockbroker to sell all their holdings of the British East India Company. 
Stock prices took a nosedive. This looked like the beginning of the end of British presence in India. That worried the British government. They couldn't let the East India Company fail. It represented a sixth of the entire British income. So, by a Pitts India Act, the British government took direct control of affairs in India. And the way they did that was by appointing Charles Cornwallis as the Commander-in-Chief of British India. Cornwallis was a British bigwig. He was coming off of another defeat. On the other side of the world, he had surrendered in a battle with American revolutionaries. And yet, he retained enough of the government's confidence to be given charge of British India. He explained his strategy to his officers. Tipu Sultan, it's just a flash in the pan. Right now, he may soar high like one of his rockets, but soon, he'll fall like a stick. All we have to do is to pit the Peshwas against Mysore, Hyderabad against the French, pit Travancore against Mysore, and against the French, the Sikh against Mysore, and Bob's your uncle. Good old divide and rule. That didn't work so well in the Battle of Yorktown, did it? Thought the soldiers. But no one dared to say a word. They just thought that Cornwallis was probably off his rocker. But on this occasion, Cornwallis was right. Divide and rule worked. Unfortunately for Mysore. In 1790, Tipu Sultan invaded the kingdom of Travancore, which was a British ally. Cornwallis responded by attacking Mysore from all directions. The Peshwas, Hyderabad, Travancore and multiple sets of British troops attacked Mysore from every direction. Tipu had no choice except to surrender half of his kingdom to all the vultures that had gathered for the spoils. For the tiger of Mysore, this was a catastrophe. Besides giving up half of his territory, he had to pay a huge amount of money as war damages. And until he did, his two young sons, aged 10 and 8 years, were held captive. It took a while to raise the kind of money that the British were expecting, but Tipu managed it finally. And in the meantime, he had become pen pals with another ruler who had also rocketed into history books. Napoleon Bonaparte Tipu sought French help to throw off British rule. Napoleon was more than willing to provide it, though his motives weren't all altruistic. The French had designs on India's rich natural resources, just as the British did. The British attacked Mysore again, beginning the Fourth Anglo-Mysore War. But help from the French 
did not arrive. Napoleon was himself tied up with fighting the British on the Nile and dealing with the consequences of his loss. Again, the British were supported by the state of Hyderabad, which had almost become a recurring sidekick in this series of Anglo-Mysore wars. An accident worsened Tipu's already weak position when a rocket failed to launch properly. I guess it had thrust issues. It didn't get fired for not doing its job properly. Instead, it hit a pile of unlaunched rockets. The result was a horrific mess. Tipu went through the roof. But what could he do? He was being met with an overwhelming force. The might of the British Empire was passionate about crushing his spirit and crushing his empire that had caused them so much humiliation. Tipu Sultan's stronghold in Seringapatnam was surrounded. Tipu himself had a chance to escape, thanks to an early warning from a French spy. But he chose not to escape. He famously said, I'd rather live one day as a tiger than a thousand years as a sheep, which you might view as a crisp version of William Wallace's speech from Braveheart. Tipu fought, but he was shot and killed. And that ended the Fourth Anglo-Mysore War. Krishna Raja Vodeyar III was made king, but he was just a puppet. The real decision-maker was an appointee of Cornwallis, whom the king of Mysore was supposed to consult before making any moves. When he got the news of Tipu's death, General George Harris of the British Raj, not to be confused with the Beatle, George Harrison, exclaimed, India is ours. Quite in contrast to George Harrison, who discovered a kinship with the people of India. Once the British got their hands on Mysorean rocket technology, they adapted it, of course. The Congreve rocket that they used in the Napoleonic Wars was based on the designs from Mysore. The catch is that the rocket had not been patented. So, Sir William Congreve did with it as he pleased. That's it for this time. In the next episode, we'll do another Singhasan Bhattisi story, as Raja Bhoj takes another step towards the throne. Thank you all for the comments on social media and on Spotify's Q&A. I can't directly reply to the questions there, but I'll address them here on the show. Thank you Sakshi, Riddhi, Shiv and Deepti for your comments. MCKS? Absolutely, yes, I can do more stories like the Akbar Birbal one. Let me know if you have a specific story in mind. Deepti, I love that you are a fellow Vishnu fan. A Ramayan episode is indeed coming up very soon. At this point, we only have a few stories remaining to tell from the main storyline 
of this great epic. CKJK, great idea on including a question in the poll to quiz you listeners. I'll look to start something soon. Hari Prasad, thank you for the feedback. And I will plan on covering Madhavacharya's story in March. I appreciate the ample heads up. Bala, thank you for your patience. The Asurs and Dave's story is lined up and we will get to it soon. Shalu, thank you as always for the thoughtful feedback. In episode 225, I briefly alluded to the system that Draupadi and the Pandavas worked out. But I will explain in a future Mahabharata episode the circumstances there. Deep and joy, that's an interesting observation. Yes, it's been over four years and 270 episodes and I've still not really uttered that catchphrase that I'm popularly associated with. I did explain back in episode 49 why that is so. Do check it out if you haven't already. Samay, thank you for the lovely idea. I'll certainly look into it. Moshroom, I'm honored. Thank you for the generous praise. Vishrit, happy Sankranti to you and to all of you other listeners as well. Purneen Selvan is coming up. I'm doing some research on it and I appreciate your patience in the meantime. Prasanna, thank you for the high praise and I'm glad I'm able to bring you these stories. Aira, Singhasan Bhattisi is indeed coming up next week. If you have any other comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you'd like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or reply to the questions on Spotify's Q&A. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to send me an email, it's storiesfromindiapodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.